Hello, friends, and welcome to World Build With Us, the podcast where we create fantastical worlds with help from you, our listeners. My name is Rob Hilferty, and I'm here with my co-hosts Courtney Staples and Ian Woodworth from the Under Common Taste podcast. Ian, so good to have you back. It's been quite a while since you've been on our podcast, but I just made a fairly recent appearance on yours. Now, would you want to tell us why I would pop in on your podcast? Well, because here a little over a month ago, we just had our 100th episode. So we had some past guests and friends of the show come on to just have a bullshit episode <laughs> where we just sat around and talked. And it was yes. a, it was a great bunch of fun. And I'm really super excited to be here, be back on World Build with us. It's been we were talking, it's been about a year and a half since the last time I was over here. So it's been a very long time. Yeah, it's been quite a while. Uh, but it's it's great to have you back. And uh, for for the newer listeners who might not have gone back, why don't you tell us what your podcast is all about? So Undercommon Taste is a podcast where we create and discuss homebrew content for tabletop RPGs. Uh, most of our content up to now has been Dungeons and Dragons focusing towards fifth edition. But a lot of our later episodes involve diving into lore from older editions, primarily second and third edition, and talking about how to take elements of that lore and bring it into a fifth edition game to just sort of flesh out the world. Mm. Because Wizards in fifth edition hasn't done a very good job of world building with their settings. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, they've from from my understanding, they've kind of uh, fallen back on relying on previously established settings quite a bit. They have. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or uh, even Magic the Gathering, which I have no problem with, as long as they're the good settings, not the bad ones. And you know the difference. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> even even though I haven't played Magic the Gathering for 10 years, I still know that <laughs> which ones are the good ones and which ones aren't. Oh, absolutely. It's pretty obvious. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so uh, we also bring on different TTRPG creators, people who do actual play podcasts, people who, you know, who are game writers and such. Uh, most recently at the time of recording this, we just had an interview with Cassie, the DM for the lovely Craftians, uh, Call of Cthulhu actual play podcast. They just wrapped up their fourth season, which was a four season story arc. So they just wrapped wow. all that up mm -hmm. and it's a great podcast. You should go listen to it. And then our next guest is going to be Goblin Archives, who wrote the game Liminal Horror, oh, yeah. which is a hack of Yochai Gal's Cairn, which is in turn a hack of Chris McDowell's Into the Odd, which I think was based on White Hack. I think <laughs> we're getting we're getting very uh, seven degrees of Kevin yeah. Bacon with with this game. But uh, we're, we're really excited to be able to talk with them, too. So. Right. And White Hack, of course, being a hack of Dungeons and Dragons, which was, of course, a hack of uh, Chainmail, which was, of course, a hack of the original Napoleonic minis war game, uh, which was, of course, based on Napoleon Bonaparte. Uh, but yes, <laughs> like I, I think uh, I, I think I love how like tight knit and how interwoven the tabletop industry is. Uh, it is very niche and very insular, and part of that is good, and part of that is not so good. Uh, but the parts that we're talking about, pretty cool, I would say. I would agree. <laughs> all right. Well, we, we don't have you on just to chat about bullshit all day, <laughs> although we could. But more importantly, we have a very special episode and series at that, wherein for the spooky season, rather than just bringing you a single spooky jam, we decided to talk to our patron-only Discord. Uh, we have the Aphid Lounge set up in our Discord, if you are a patron. And for this year, for this spooky season, we decided to uh, have a little bit of fun with the Discord and get ideas from everyone. It's like a big old gumbo of spooky season prompts and jam. Uh, except it's not really jam, it's actually just a setting prompt. And that prompt is... Somewhere in a steampunk city sits a church, and beneath that, its labyrinthine catacombs. Whatever unknowable horror lurks within has amassed a following, thanks to its seemingly infinite power of mind and body control. 
It possesses both its attackers and victims, forcing brutal crimes to be committed, all while those under its control experience everything through a hive mind like connection. For the tenets we have, for some reason, no one speaks about those moments of control. Old Celtic deities and mythology plays a role of some sort. And Courtney, I, I don't remember, um, I don't remember this part, but you added blood fountains. Um, I thought it, it we said no to the blood fountains this time. Did we? Because it was definitely discussed in the patron chat. Okay, I feel like you just have blood fountains on the mind, but like you know what? Blood <laughs> fountains, tenets, we'll we'll keep it in there. That's not a problem. Uh, all of uh, all of these tenets <laughs> and all of the content that we're talking about come particularly due to some of our patrons' names that you will probably recognize if you're longtime listeners. One, Gluax Speed, one, Commissar Whiskers, and one, Diplo Raptor. But before we get into the prompt, I'd like to remind everyone that if you want us to build your world, you can always go to our website, worldbuildwithus.com, click the link, follow the instructions, and within a reasonable amount of time, we'll be building your world. If you want to follow us on social media, you can always go to our Twitter at Let's World Build. If you want to come join our Discord, where we will talk about spooky stuff well until December and pretty much year round, you can go and follow a link for that in the description of the episode. And of course, if you're feeling particularly generous and you want to give us money over on Patreon, there's a link for that in the description as well, where we offer, oh, I don't know, the, the patron only Discord, for example early episodes and patron only episodes as well. And for just a moment, I would like to stop and thank all of our patrons for their continued contribution. We would be able to do it without you, but honestly, like we really wouldn't be able to do it without you. The sense of community and the support that you show us is truly inspiring. And I, on behalf of world build with us, would like to thank all of our patrons for continuing their support. Of course, if you want to join our patrons, we'll be more than happy to take your money. Uh, but it's more than that. It's about building a community. And I just want to say thank you to everyone who listens, even if you're not a patron. It really means a lot as we're doing this for our third year. The spooky season is always a particularly special episode for me personally, because I'm a big fan of horror and Halloween in particular. But this is my sappy moment of the year to thank everyone profusely for their support. And with all of the shilling out of the way, we can finally get into our spooky, spooky prompt. Now, Ian, as our guest, you have first right. All right. So please, what's your tenet, sir? Well, I'm, I'm glad that you decided to let Courtney's blood fountain stand. <laughs> because my, my first tenet is plucking the low-hanging fruit and saying that the blood fountains are the physical manifestations of the cosmic entity within our world. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I can support that. Sure. Yeah. I do like uh, that. Courtney already very excited. Um, I, right away. <laughs> yeah. And actually, this ties in really, really well to uh, my first tenant as well. Not surprisingly, also blood related. <laughs> <laughs> you are too on brand sometimes, Courtney. I swear. It was it was brought up in chat. I had to go. By you, no. by you. I'm no, sure. I thought it was. I thought it was related to. Uh, we were talking about Diablo and like the church and the catacombs uh -huh. and blood fountains. And I was gonna things. say when I read this, it felt very new Tristram. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yes. Yeah. Uh, I, I was searching for a gif of the butcher, but unfortunately they only have the like the, the three or the heroes of the storm version. And I refuse mm. to use those gifts. So, yeah, uh, fresh meat. Just want to toss it yes. out there. Continue <laughs> on with your like self insert at this point, uh, tenant. But like, yeah, what do you got for us, Courtney? Wow. All right. Uh, I'm calling you the fuck out. All right. Whatever. You're just mad Whatever. that the last twist made us do less blood than before. So, you know. <laughs> All right. Um, so I had been browsing through some Irish mythology, and one thing that caught my eye, pun partially intended, was Baylor, who had an eye that caused destruction mm -hmm, when mm -hmm. opened. And then, of course, in the stories, that eye had a tendency to get gouged out by heroes, uh, sometimes to the point of spilling so much blood that lakes were formed from it. 
Mm-hmm. So that got me thinking that the entity that lurks in the catacombs had its mystical eye or some other body part wounded ages ago. And that formed an underground blood lake that's the source of the blood fountains. Interesting. Interesting. I have a question. Mm-hmm. So the blood pools, right? I'm I'm imagining these as like Catholic little basins where you would like put holy water. Oh, Is yeah, this yeah. the type of thing where people will take the blood from the catacombs and bring it up and put it into these basins or is the blood does the blood manifest like on its own? Or is there hmm. some third thing here? I almost want it to be like the fonts are like the ends of appendages and it's literally bleeding into them. Mm. Like it's all connected underground and this is just like leaking up basically. So it's like some weird macabre interior plumbing. (laughs) (laughs) Right. No, I can, I can, uh, yeah, I can definitely fuck with that. Yeah. I mean, of course now I'm thinking that the tendrils that you're talking about are actually like ocular stalks or like the, the bits that like, keep the eyeball in place and stuff like that or like that's how it senses stuff that's how it sees the outside world yeah exactly so it's to to borrow from D, it's like a beholder that has had the eyes removed from the eye stalks mm. um n- not quite uh, what i had in mind I- imagine like just like the the when you have your eye gouged out you know how there's like the little uh nerve endings and tendrils that stick yeah. out of it just that part which kind of implies that deep below the catacombs, there is like a monstrous eyeball somewhere. Mm. Um, but, you know, like I'm just that, that's just kind of where my brain goes. We don't have to keep that necessarily. OK, um, mm. so loving. Lo- I'm glad that we got the blood fountains out of the way early, but but <laughs> I, I wanted to appreciate what they are and then we can never talk about them again. Wow. Um, I'm joking. I'm joking, of course. Uh, but for, for my tenant, I actually wanted to keep it fairly simple. And by that, I mean, I wanted to restrict the the setting to the church and the catacombs itself. I think that mm-hmm. horror is most effective when it's a claustrophobic environment. And I know that the, the, the prompt kind of implies that it's just about the church and the catacombs, but I really want to make sure that that's clear. I want to narrow that down. And on top of that, I want to talk a little bit more about the church. I want the church to be a fairly important place within the city. I want it to be uh, politically important. And I basically want it to be like a nexus for like this. This church is basically where the rich and the poor and the middle class all come together. So Mm -hmm. there's a lot of political intrigue that could be happening. And I mean, obviously there's a bunch of horror as well. So Super, super narrow focus. Keep it just within the church. But I also want that church to be important. And that's what I want to go with. Okay. I can I can definitely see the potential for a lot of tie-in for like giving it almost a Pentecostal feel where you have people, you know, speaking in tongues and rolling in the aisles and mm-hmm. know that the spirit falls upon them. And the spirit falling upon them would be the entity assuming control of their body. Oh, that's cool. Interesting. So, so it's like allowing it into your body is kind of like a religious right or something like that. And so like what people might believe is just kind of this act of faith is actually a genuine invitation to some like greater being. So what I think is actually kind of interesting about that is this idea that you could, you're essentially consenting to be controlled but you don't realize how real and how like invasive it is until later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you you end up questioning after the fact because you're expecting this religious mm-hmm. experience. Because if we're if we're going off of a real world church sort of setting, mm-hmm. there is the assumption that the church is a good place, and mm-hmm. that the mm-hmm. and that the things that happen in the church are good things because they are associated with that good place. And so whenever they cede control to the entity and do these truly horrific things and that they are completely aware of the fact that they're doing them and they can remember them after the fact, that's why they don't talk about it because Mm. their brain is trying to rationalize. I was in a good place. Good things were supposed to happen why, mm-hmm. why do I feel so bad about it? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too, that it's like taboo almost to bring it up or like to question it because the sort of cultural mindset is like, this is a good thing. And, you know, we should be grateful that we have this connection. So to question that would be like, wh- why are you bringing us up now? Like what's, what's wrong mm. with you? Like we all had this experience and we're fine with it. Yeah. And there is this kind of like, there's power in collectivism, right? There's power in community. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so to pervert that power and to pervert that sense of belonging is really powerful and like thematically horrific. Uh, I want to I want to go back and quote from one of our patrons, Commissar Whiskers, who in our discord chat said, looking at horror as a genre, it's more about our reactions to a thing, the fear and repulsion of it rather than pure violence or simply spookiness. So a theme that immediately gives goosebumps makes people uncomfortable. And uh, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with that. I I think that what we're doing here is a theme of like it's invasiveness and it's like perverting something that should be good. So that thematically, Mm -hmm. I think, works with what we're talking about here. And I'm very excited and very happy to see what's going on. So with that, let's loop it back around. We're going to go to our second tenant. Ian, what's your second tenant? All right. Well, I wanted to to bring this back and tie it back into the Celtic mythology because we haven't done a whole lot with that. Mm-hmm. Um, my second tenet is that wearing woad makes you invulnerable to the entity's mind control. Mm-hmm. Okay. For those of us who don't know what woad is, I would like a clarification, please. All right. So if you've seen the pictures, the illustrations of Celtic peoples, or red depictions, they often, especially in a in a battle context, are painted with this blue paint. Mm-hmm. And woad is the blue pigment that was used for making this paint. Um, it was primarily used as as a dye for like fabrics and stuff, but they could mix it in a certain way to use it as a body paint. There are a lot of misconceptions about it that you know wearing it would be a, like a psychotropic effect. And the mm. they've found that the effects of that are very minimal to mm. non-existent or that, you know, it would act as sort of a numbing agent or, or put them into a, a battle frenzy or something like that. And all of those have been thoroughly debunked, but there was a cultural significance to painting yourself with woad for the Celtic and Pictish people whenever they would enter battle. And so I wanted to tie back to the Celtic gods and say that perhaps, you know, the agents of these gods would know this and they would be able to paint themselves with the woad in order to do battle with the enemy Mm. without worrying about losing control to the enemy. Mm -hmm. Can I can I kind of pick at that a little bit? Sure. Yeah. So here's actually what I'm thinking. I would like to decouple the idea of it being from the gods. Like the reason that the woad is effective is not related to it being divine. There's another reason for it that I don't think we need to explore, but I would just like this idea that like, that it's not religious necessarily, or or the reason is incidental as to why it like protects people from this mind altering kind of uh influence yeah I'm, I'm fine with that it's just i was i was trying to draw back to the to the real world celtic tie-in oh, yeah. mm-hmm. the significance of woad in no no in celtic yeah. culture so that that was where i was going with that no it's dope i like that a lot yeah. i i also love the idea that like eventually right like if so what we're talking about is more like the horror aspect but there's the sequel that becomes more actiony and in that actiony part <laughs> There is going to be a woad clad hero who like as the church is burning, he's like you see his like his silhouette. And then from that, like comes the woad and stuff like that, like very cinematic, very (laughs) cool. But for now, we're going with the spooky part of this. But yeah, obviously, that's what it will eventually happen unless we go real fucking dark (laughs) with how this ends up going. But I love the idea of like adding in the woad aspect to it. Mm hmm. And it's also like comes up with really interesting visuals too, like the contrast mm-hmm. that you now have between like the blue of the woad and the red of the blood and how that's going to tie in over time. Mm-hmm. And also 
just imagining I I'm guessing that, you know, we're going to end up with our heroes going down into these catacombs wearing woad and like picturing that wearing off over time. And, you know, what's the danger in like as it rubs off of you, like how susceptible are you going to be? When is that line crossed where they're going to get taken over? Yeah, I was was actually thinking about that because, you know, it is it's basically a body paint. I mean, traditionally, you would mix it with uh, whiskey to mm. create the the pigment that you would paint on. And because the alcohol would dry off quickly and, you know, it would be stuck there. Mm. But eventually, if you're going against an entity whose entire identity is blood. Yeah. <laughs> so, Courtney, this yep. is going to be a charnel house. And eventually, if you're not careful, the woad is going to wash off. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I I was thinking that like if you really want to get down at the heart of this thing, it will force you through like dungeon design to wade through blood or like mm-hmm. even like swim through it as an attempt to wear down or wash off the woad in some way. Like if this thing is like a, a hive mind, hyper intelligent, unknowable consciousness, it's going to be smart enough to realize like we can get that off you. That's not a problem. <laughs> yeah. Right. Absolutely. So like, actually, the more I think about it, the more like non-conventional some of the uh, attacks and enemies could be, you know, like rather than uh, just stabbing you, you know, like some of it, it might be preferable, actually, that they take people alive or like have the equivalent of water balloons (laughs) to like try and wash or like a a fire hose, I suppose. Right. Probably more effective than a water balloon. I'm, I'm, I, I think I'm too into the uh, to the monster squad aspect of this part. But no, no, no to, to, to bring it back to the horror. Yeah, there is, I think, a desire that this thing has to grow mm-hmm. in that. I mean, to get more followers. So like that part is rather interesting as well. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I can see because this was explained as being a both a body horror and a cosmic horror. Mm-hmm. And the thing about cosmic horror is that as a theme, humanity is insignificant. Right. Does not matter. Does not matter. Which means that the entity knows it has adherence. It doesn't care about them. And so the things that it would do would be like it would send, you know, half a dozen of its adherents over to like tackle and pin one of the heroes and then they would start bloodletting themselves okay. over the person to try and wash and smear off the woad. That is amazing. <laughs> Why not just cover yourself in blood, like your own blood in some cases, and then just like start wrestling them, rub exactly. it, rubbing your body off on it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> because they're they're a disposable resource to this yeah. entity. I mean, it's yeah. it's truly insignificant. The life of these adherents mm-hmm. and so yeah. and so yeah there's no reason why they wouldn't just dispose of them as the most expeditious way to get what they need done yeah i completely agree with that i think that that mm-hmm. works and i know that i you know i kind of gave it a, a funny imagery with like like slick <laughs> wrestling and stuff like that um however i i think that you know, if we were to use more serious tones or if you saw this in real life, it'd be fucking terrifying. Oh, yeah. That would be like, yes. horrifying. Yeah. yeah. I, so I, I wanted to like it's spooky season. I want to not take away from the incredibly horrific imagery that we're dealing with here. You know, <laughs> so, yes, uh, uh, agreed on the cosmic horror front, Ian. I think that's mm-hmm. a good point to bring up as well, for sure. So let's see. Uh, oh, yeah. Courtney, you're up next. Yep. So, yeah. Courtney. So speaking of adherence and how it gets them, uh, I was just trying out a demo of a horror game on Steam called Dead Letter Department, and the Mm -hmm. gameplay was actually data entry, like you're at a computer transcribing addresses (laughs) and notes on pieces of mail that, of course, get like weirder and more disturbing as you go. Of course, truly the most horrific of jobs. Yes, absolutely. Um, and and based on that sort of unassuming source of horror, I want this creature's method of invading your mind, at least initially, to be based on reading or transcribing something. 
definitely open to ideas. But given that this is a church, I'm thinking it could be mm-hmm. like even something as simple as flyers that get handed out or it's the act of doing some sort of written component of a church service, something like that. I like the idea if if we're playing with the themes that we have going here so far, I like the idea that there is a level of buy-in required more than just mm-hmm. reading something. Cause you can kind of read something incidentally. Right. right. Yeah. I think that, and this actually kind of works a little bit with my tenant. However, uh, I want to talk about yours a little bit more. I think that, having the these acolytes or these followers like draw or write something is really important. And mm-hmm. I think that that's a really interesting way that we can kind of get them in. One of the things that I find particularly interesting is that at that point, right? Like people have be, have devoted themselves to this cause in some way. So when the bad shit starts happening, because they've already devoted themselves, because there's been that like, buy-in of the required writing, it suddenly becomes much harder. And I know that doesn't sound like much, right? Like the writing doesn't seem that much, but there's a ritual to it. Mm-hmm. There's the deliberateness to it. There is the choosing to make this part of your life, which means that it makes the buy-in that much more real to these people. So it's 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 far more sinister than just a, a, a writing, you know, or, or, or reading necessarily, you know? Yeah. It's kind of like, like cults in general, they sort of rely on a gradual escalation of devotion. Exactly. So I, I picture that the same here where, you know, at first you're just attending the services, but eventually you get to the point and maybe it does seem like completely benign or there's no major like red flags about it, but eventually you are required to transcribe or write something Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the point, the like true turning point where you can't really go back from that. Absolutely. So how, how much, how closely are we wanting this to mirror or parallel real world religions? The reason I ask is because my, my wife is a recovered Catholic. And, uh, <laughs> one of the things about the Catholic church is, First communion is a big thing. Mm-hmm. And until you go through all of the steps required to do your first communion, you're not allowed to take communion. Right. Mm. So what if the ritual required for the initiation is like that? So where you're you're gradually building up, you know, you're learning the words and you're learning the motions and then eventually you are invited to take your first communion, Mm. whatever form this is going to take, whether it is actually, you know, consuming a cup that is the blood of the entity, Mm. or perhaps, you know, it, it involves something a little less macabre, a little Mm. more innocuous, which is like you prick your finger and you put a drop of blood into the font. And then that Mm. you Mm. mingle your blood with the, the entity and in doing so, you give it the conduit in. Yeah, I think that's perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I have an idea that we can build off of this as well. First of all, blood in the ink and then transcribing yeah. it using the bloody ink is probably the best way to physically and metaphorically represent the commingling of like the entity and yourself, right? Agreed. Right. Uh, so secondly, here's what I think we can get into because uh, my wife is also a recovering Catholic. I think what the Catholic Church does well is the idea of spectacle or pomp and circumstance in some mm-hmm. cases, right? So I think what we do, right, we have every time there's a new convert, there is a big spectacle about it. So every week, if you're coming to this church every week and you see we've got a new person And so they're giving their sermon and then in the background, this person's finishing up their like written ritual. And then you see them become part of this hive mind. You see like this change. And then there's like collective weeping with joy. And like, you know, you make a big deal out of whenever there's a new convert, Mm -hmm. it's going to be intriguing. And it might seem really horrific to some people, but there's also this idea of like, wow, that person finally did their thing. Good for them. You know, like there's, there's a spectacle to this deal, 
right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that a lot. And Ian, you had brought up too, like the, the idea of practicing towards this, which I like to like making sure that you're getting the calligraphy exactly mm -hmm. right. So oh, when yeah. you do this actual ceremony, you produce this like beautiful, almost illuminated text of, of a contract, if you will. Right. Um, and you kind of present that to everybody. And it's like, yeah, I, I, I just love the idea of it being like a, a graduation almost. Mm -hmm. and, and I can, I can see that, you know, as part of this, obviously they're going to have their first possession as, as part of this mm -hmm. whole ceremony. It has to be because that's, that's adding into the, the horrific thing. This is what you've been working up to. And so finally you get your reward. Mm. And I can I can definitely see this also as a way of disposing of non-believers, mm -hmm. disposing of the skeptics, because we haven't specified what the horrific things they do are. Mm -hmm. But I think we can guess. We can certainly infer. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Um, there, there are there are few things more horrific than taking the life of another human being. And so if mm. there are people who show up and they're like, uh, this isn't for me. No. <laughs> you, once you step in that door, you're either going to become a convert or you're not going to talk about what we do here. I think that there's also something to, to go, like, I, I want to build on that. But I also want to go back to my point about spectacle. I, I'm thinking back to some childhood friends whose family members were born again or they did the ritual again as like sort of like a testament to their faith. Right. So it's not just enough to pledge once, but to go back and like mm. show how serious you are about it. Not because you want to rise in the ranks within the church. It's because you take your faith so seriously. And I think that there's something to that, right? Where someone who has been, Maybe they've been wavering since they've been in the church. Maybe that they're, they're they're a little suspicious about this whole body control situation. I think that there's something powerful to the congregation about someone who may have been, you know, feel like they they've been wavering in their faith to come back and say, my my uh, my crisis of faith is over. I'm back at the church. I'm a stronger believer now more than ever. Mm. Of course, what you don't see is the myriad psychological and physical tortures that they've endured at the hand of the church actually. Yeah. And, and to be more specific and horrific about this, not just the hand of the church, but their very own hand, because as we've said, right, when they're possessed by this entity, they are fully aware they're fully in control or they're not in control, but they're fully aware of everything. So imagine that the entity takes over of your own body and tortures yourself with that same body. Mm -hmm. Just how much of a psychological breakdown that would feel like it's just skin crawling horror. Yeah. And yeah. that's exactly what I'm trying to get at here. Yeah. yeah. Or they force you to mutilate somebody else as oh, like a, a yeah. test of your That's faith. a good one too. Yeah. And so – I mean, you're obviously being controlled, but you're doing it. You know, it's your own mm. body that's committing this atrocity. Right. And you have to just watch it happen. And you think that you have may, maybe you, you there is a little bit of guilt in there as well, where it's like I could have made the choice not to harm this person. But, mm. you know, or or like actively fought yourself to like not harm this other person, something like that. Yeah, yeah. there's real body horror there. And that's like oh, yeah. really fascinating. I think that's a really good point, too, Courtney. Yeah. And then that also brings up like, again, the pressure of not talking about it, not questioning it after the fact, or mm -hmm. like, if you were to question it, then others could blame you like, well, you, you know, you consented to being taken over by, mm -hmm. by this being you, you were the one who came here in the first place. So it, right. it is on you that you the did the power this. of the ritual again yeah. is mm -hmm. far more than just allowing the entity in you. It's also the, the guilt that it, it instills in you as you do it, you know, like yeah. the complicity that you feel in it. That's the important power to it. And too, it's like, who are you going to go to after something like right. that? Like if you go to some external authority and are like, I was just forced to, you know, hurt somebody terribly. Are they actually going to believe that? Like it, mm -hmm. it brings up all these doubts. And because of that, doubt of yourself of you know being taken seriously outside being trusted you're more likely to just continue as is and not bring it up externally yeah it's it's insular 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Love it. Man, this is real. This is like so fucked up and fun so far. I'm <laughs> <this>. <laughs> All right. So let's so I I wanted to jump in earlier, but we had such a good convo going that I'm like, let's keep it moving. Because my second tenet is fairly simple, but it's also very uh symbolic. And I mean that literally, in that I want the symbol of the Triskelion to be uh the symbol of the church. The and, and what I want to incorporate here is not just the symbol itself, but also what the symbol might represent. And I don't want this to be like there's only one way that we can interpret it. I think that the symbol of the Triskelion is like it's vague enough where it can mean anything. It's kind of like uh, here. Uh, all right. So before I continue on with my spiel here, you know, what we're talking about when I mean the Triskelion, right? Uh, no, I do not. All right. So the Triskelion is like this uh, ancient kind of symbol that represents like a three legged man. But they're the the symbolism of it or like the, the literal symbology of it, the semiotics of it is like essentially a triple spiral that's all connected. Okay. Uh, the image itself is kind of trippy and uh, I'm sure that we'll probably have have like a link to it or something when this goes up. But that's I looked at this imagery and I'm like, hell yeah, that's dope and kind of trippy and kind of scary. But it's also three spirals that are all interconnected. Mm-hmm. And I think that we can utilize that in a number of ways when we're talking about this cult. So, Courtney, when you said that there's like a written component to it, mm-hmm. I was thinking that what you do is you're essentially writing like a contract out, right? Or, or like the rights of this church out in the symbol of the Triskelion. Mm-hmm. So, like, you're writing entire words in this really intricate pattern, which is why it looks so visually striking. Mm-hmm. And like, it all just, I think it works really well together overall. That is cool. And, yeah. um, of course, I feel like bringing up spirals and horror, we have to reference uh, Junji Ito's Uzumaki. Uzumaki, of course. Yeah, which is oh, all about goodness, yeah. the horror of spirals. And if you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. There is supposed to be an Adult Swim cartoon co- or, or anime coming about oh, it. Really? I, it got delayed because oh, yeah. of COVID. Yeah, um, I remember but, hearing about that years ago. Huh. Yeah, yeah. It, again, got delayed because of COVID. But one one component I really wanted to like focus on a little bit was the music in Uzumaki, the upcoming animated thing, is by the same person who did Hereditary and mm-hmm. Color Out of Space. Uh, I, I don't remember his name, but uh, the fucking music is so up unsettling and upsetting. I'm like, yes, this is what Uzumaki should have as music. Um, but anyway, yes, Spirals. Spirals and, <laughs> yes. and Uzumaki, of course, yes. Mm-hmm tangent over but yeah I, I think that the spiral in horror is a really good thing and i'm like hey if i can have a celtic version of uzumaki that's kind of dope that like is- there's a lot of stuff that like lines up as well i think yeah yeah and like then that makes me wonder like what what does the entity look like is it some sort of snail like creature that has some <laughs> kind of I, I don't know it's like it's some element from from <laughs> od and d yeah that's exactly what it is no i I, again i think if we're if we're sticking to our theme of cosmic horror we don't know what the actual entity looks like that's true but we may know what some of its like favored creatures might look like or Mm -hmm. something like that so there might be a snail like kind of monstrosity that is involved in the situation Mm -hmm. but we might also just want to figure out other cool spiral animals and like may or or just like maybe actually just a human spiral like legs, so legs to waist, regular human, torso up, just like a, a fucking Julianne person, right? <laughs> and that is somehow you've been shown favor by this thing. And yeah, the imagery is fucking horrifying. Yeah. Like trying to think of that, like, ugh. So one of the modern uses of the Triskelion in modern heraldry, I'm Ooh. one of the other things that I do. I'm I'm in the Society for Creative Anachronism, and I am a herald, so I look at modern heraldry and I make people heraldry for their oh, cool. personas and whatnot. Oh, dope! One of the modern uses is the uh, heraldry for the Isle of Man. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. Isle of Man is a triskelion, but the three legs are literal legs. 
it is three legs conjoined at the center in the form of a triskelion. Mm. That's pretty horrifying, but that works. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. so whenever you start talking about that, that's literally what I see is, you know, whirlwinds of legs. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Okay, so let's let's revamp that concept then. So three legs, uh, so so human torso with three legs, and then a Julianne kind of like spiralized <laughs> person uh, from the waist up. How does that sound? More horrifying? It's, I it's think so. Suitably horrifying, yeah, and like yeah, yeah. Uh, that's the Jesus like, Christ. What kind guys. of experiments are they performing on people to get that result? See, I don't yeah. think that's well, actually, you know what? This actually segues nicely into one of my questions because the setting is pretty implicitly uh, steampunk and we don't really have much steampunk flavor in this right mm -hmm. now. Right, so yeah. with the idea of experimentation, I think that that is a great segue into that question, Courtney. So great job there. Thanks. Thanks. Of and uh, I imagine that whatever they're doing is uh, since they're all mind controlled both the sort of perpetrators and the victims like everybody's mm. fully awake and aware while this is happening even the people who are uh being experimented upon well okay so i have a question about this though if this thing is so fucking smart how come it needs to experiment shouldn't it know the process of this kind of human uh reconfiguration shall we say i I don't think that it's experimentation on the part of the entity. I think ah. that it is the adherents trying oh, in yeah. their limited yeah. way to change their form to emulate the entity. Yeah. They're trying mm -hmm. to curry favor by like representing themselves as something that they recognize as the entity. Yes. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's really good. I, that, that totally works for me. Yeah. Okay. Another another question, right? Um, we haven't really gotten to the politically important part of the church yet. And one thing that I am very curious, because basically right now, right? And this is my problem with a lot of like D&D-esque churches, right? Sometimes you just have a fucking church of evil assholes. Like, why mm -hmm. would a community uh, allow this church to exist and thrive? Why would this particular church be politically important and a place where everyone from all the classes kind of co-mingle? So essentially what I'm asking is what good does this church do? Mm -hmm. No, that's a, a great point. And I agree that it would be good to have something kind of externally that they're doing for the benefit of others, whether it's sort of charity work to help others in the city if it's this Victorian steampunk style place, I imagine that there's, you know, disparity among the classes and um, maybe they kind of help people most in need, uh, give them a home to stay in, that sort of thing. See, I want to take a cynical approach to this. Mm -hmm. um, you, Ian? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> right. <Weird. laughs> because if we treat this the same way that we would treat, say a mega church, mm -hmm. the church itself doesn't need to provide a service. The service it provides is the status symbol of being mm. a member of the church. Mm. That's a good point. Yeah. Further question though. So yes, that's true. Mega churches uh, rely on the prestige of it. Right. But they have a pre-established religion mm -hmm. from which they can kind of base their rights and everything on right so really all you need is money and someone who's charismatic and then like someone who knows the bible right like there you go that's how you get it in but with this church like what are the like foundationally what makes it appealing to followers hmm. because that's the thing that's the thing that we've got because like I, I agree with you structurally once you get to a point that's big enough it really doesn't matter very much about what you do for the community. But how did it get to that point to begin with? I, and I think that by approaching it that way, we also mm -hmm. add a level of nuance to the church where you can, there's plausible deniability. Like you would want right. to be part of this church as a result, right? Right. And I, I can definitely see that it once had that purpose and that as it has gained in membership and as it has grown in congregation the outreach portions of it have become less important than the status mm -hmm. of b 
being a member, but what the initial outreach would have been, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, just sort of thinking about like a breakdown of what this church embodies and I'm getting the sense that it, there's a lot around like transformation mm-hmm. and also giving up control so that others may help you in a way. So I'm wondering if it's like they started out as um, trying to help the more impoverished, like take charge of their own lives, if you will, or started, not sure how to phrase it, but just something about like transforming to give more opportunities and that these people might otherwise not have originally. Did this start as, as an addiction self-help group? Oh, hmm. that's like, like an, like yeah. an AA yeah. sort of, uh, sort of entity. That, yeah. I like you that. You don't have to go it alone. Yes. yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. That's really cool. That works. That absolutely works. And that's like absolutely targeting like some of the most vulnerable people who are trying because to these, get help. These are, these are desperate people who right. are yeah. literally right. willing to try anything mm-hmm. to wrest control of their lives. I mean, you can frame it as well as this kind of like, look who I used to be and look who I am now. I'm like this owner and, you know, cause everyone loves a good redemption story. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So yeah, that absolutely works. That fits very well. Mm-hmm. And also I think it fits in with this idea that is a mingling spot for all of the classes. Cause all mm-hmm. classes are affected by substance abuse. Right. And you can kind of like have an intermingling and like rich people can take them to this church and be like, fix our son. He's broken. Mm, yeah. And then he comes back. He's like, I'm as, I mean, actually that's, that's kind of a part of how AA works in some cases, right? Believing in a mm. higher power. I mean, and it also incorporates a basis for a 10 step program. Oh, mm. and going through the phases. At the, at the yeah. end of which you yeah. have your initiation. That's interesting. That is yeah, I, I like I like what we've done with this, and I think holy shit, it works pretty goddamn well. So I think we're at the point where we can probably do a tenant recap and check in and make sure that we're at the plates that we need to be. So Ian, what was your first tenant? Remind us. My first tenant was that the blood fountains are the physical manifestations of the cosmic entity in our world. Mm-hmm. Mm. We've almost forgotten about the blood fountains. That's a good thing. Courtney, what was your uh, follow-up tenant to that? Uh, yeah, mine was also blood-oriented, taking from Shocking Irish mythology uh, that in the past this entity had been wounded in some way and mm-hmm. the blood that was spilled formed an underground lake that's the source of the blood fountains. Mm-hmm. Question. I just realized, because we're doing existential horror, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Is this the blood? Uh, it because uh, I'm I'm bucking against this idea that the blood itself is the blood of this entity. I don't like that concept. I think mm. it'd be more interesting if this was the blood of a god that it fought, and its presence is so fucking horrible that it has instilled its presence in the blood of a divine being, because well, that adds an l- extra layer of like plausible deniability because. If you uh, look at that blood from like a good cleric's perspective, you can look at it and be like, no, that's divine blood. That's good blood. Well, what if this entity was originally a god in itself? And See, I want to take that away even further because uh, I don't want to know what this thing is. I don't want to d- define well, we it. Well, we don't really need to define it. I'm just, I'm just wary of like going against the, the tenet that I introduced. No, I guess. Because I, ah. I like the concept that you're going with, Rob, because, you know, gods are by and large creations of humanity they they are a a construct of the communal consciousness belief brings them into existence mm-hmm. and this entity exists outside of that existence right and so i i i like that concept of there was this god it was a protector of whatever region or people or what have you and this mm-hmm. entity shows up and ganks it Right. And so, Courtney, I want to go back to your point as well, because I don't want to like trample on your tenant mm. here. Right. Um, but I would like to bring up the the classic movie Predator, <laughs> where wherein the quote is, if it bleeds, we can kill it. 
mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So I think that by having the blood be that of the entity itself, it makes it less scary because it, we can now we now know that it can be hurt, right? However, I'm willing to concede that if you don't want this, if you want it to be the entity's blood, I'm totally down with that. I don't. I'm not dying on that hill. I just want to point out that thematically, if we're staying with cosmic horror, it might make more sense to have that blood be something else and just have the presence of it be in there. But like I said, I'm I'm not here to fight about that. It could be like a mixed sort of blood, I guess, from both beings, maybe. And mm-hmm. I also want to make sure that we get Ian's in there too. That the the blood fountains are like how it sort of operates, mm-hmm. essentially. Yeah. No. I I I don't. But I but I don't think that my uh, my suggestion here kind of tramples on that. I don't think it negates that. Yeah, because my my tenet was that the fountains, yeah, yeah, are the entity, not necessarily the blood within them. So that's interesting. Okay. So Courtney, yeah, I want to make sure that you're okay with this though, because like I want to make sure that we're all on the same page and we're both we're all excited about this. And again, I don't want to steal thunder from your tenant. Yeah. Um. No, I'm just trying to think of a way to compromise there. So I suppose my question becomes, why does it being the blood of the the entity matter so much in this particular case? Because if you are drawing from religion, like the Celtic mythology, yeah. like Baylor, yeah. then like it being the blood of something that's been spilled, that works. Like if we can make it a mm-hmm. god, if we can essentially make it a Baylor equivalent, but the thing that gouged out his eye is now influenced. It's like commingled in its blood through its essence, right? Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that's kind of what I was getting at, right? Does that does that work? Or like, is there something about the physical blood of this entity that you are really, like, really adamant about keeping? I mean, part of what also interested me about that is the idea that maybe it's been healing over time, and that's why it's gaining strength. Like, it was wounded, mm. you know, millennia ago, and over time it's healed. And that's why it's, like, become such a, a core part of recent history in the city. Mm. Okay, so gotcha. I have an I have an idea mm-hmm. because we have sort of established that by sacrificing your own blood to the entity allows the entity to gain control. If this is a god that the entity has killed or has maimed and wounded, what if the entity is trying to assert control over the god through the blood and that Mm. as it brings in adherence, as it brings in followers, that power of faith reinforces this corrupted worship of the God. And it, because gods operate off of faith, the God becomes stronger as they gain more Mm. adherence, but it's this corrupted aspect of it that is subservient to the entity. Interesting. This also gives me a, a visual image that I think I'm okay with going in the direction of, which is like that the God whose blood was spilled is still there. It's still alive. Like you were saying, but it's, it's this entity is like constantly feeding off of it. Yeah. I'm totally cool with that. Yeah. Which is like hundred percent disturbing. And yeah. So it is healing, but it's also like healing in the wrong way. And I'll tell you, Ian, the, the reason that was so effective, you use the word corrupt and corruption. And Courtney was immediately like got her fan out and was like cooling herself down. It's like, oh, you hit the magic words. I think that and yeah. I, I agree, though. I agree with Courtney that the imagery is really striking and again is like this dark thing that's secretly feeding on a healing god is like fucking cool yeah. and really good. I like that a lot, actually. Yeah. Yep. Amazing. Right. Excellent. I'm definitely, definitely cool with this now. Okay, good. Uh, again, you just got to toss in corruption yeah. and then you're good. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally fine. No. Because because imagine the existential horror of yes. finding out mm-hmm. that you're adhering to the worship of this god and you go through all of the – jump through all of the hoops and you find out that your god isn't who you think it is. Yep. Yeah. That mm-hmm. god ain't right. I'll tell you what. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, yeah, we got the blood tenants out of the way. Uh, I wanted to make sure that we only focused on the church, that the church was politically important and uh, that it allowed for commingling of everyone. I feel like we've done a good job of doing that so far. 
especially when we brought in the uh, recovery part. I thought mm-hmm. that was really good. Uh, I mean, shit, we could even make this a god of healing if we really wanted to, right? To really nail down the horror of it. Mm-hmm. Healing or or redemption. Sure. Mm-hmm. Por oh, yeah. Yeah. Book, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, okay, that works. Ian, what was your second tenet? My second tenet was that wearing woad makes the mm-hmm. wearer invulnerable to the mind control abilities of the entity. Mm-hmm. I think that we've done a good job talking about that. I also feel like we could probably do a little bit more. However, I feel like that's something that will probably come up better next time. I think so. Yeah, yeah. that is yeah. that is something to flesh out as to why someone in Wode would be there in the first place. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Okay. And Courtney, your second tenant. Uh, that was that the initial method of the entity gaining control was through a reading or transcribing of something. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we definitely fleshed that out. Nailed the hell out of that. The Absolutely. ceremony of, of writing down this thing. A hundred percent. Yes. Uh, and then my final tenet was uh, just the symbol of the Triskelion, uh, which we've done remarkably well, I think. Mm-hmm. Nightmare fuel, for sure, for based <laughs> oh, yeah. on some of the stuff we've done. Yep. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah. So I think that we've – do we have any other questions about the setting before we roll for the twist? Uh, not not really, no. I don't think so. No, yeah, I don't, I don't I, think so. I similarly feel as though we've nailed it. So, yeah, let's go ahead and remember we've got – spooky twists this Uh, time yep so they're different from our regular twists and the spooky twist this time is okay i don't know how this is going to work but someone has been dead the whole time good old fun horror trope that you know comes up a couple times uh, and, and one thing that I think uh, we should also do here, because we're not going to have factions with this particular setting, right? So I think what we need to do is roll for a type of person that we're going mm-hmm. to be focusing on, that we're going to bring. I think that'd be a really fun thing to do. What do you think? Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I like that. Especially since we're trying to keep like a small scope to this. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So actually, you know what? Do you want to roll for your uh, for your particular character that you're going to bring? Yeah, that sounds like a whole lot of fun. Yeah. All right. Sure. So you roll the dice and uh, tell me what you get. And then I will tell you the thing that you're going to bring in. All right. What? Uh, a D10. What? I need a D10 from y'all. Okay. Ian? I have a seven. Uh, you have a skeptic, Ian. Mm-hmm. Ooh. I think that's appropriate considering your woad that you brought yeah. in. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, Courtney. I got a four. You have a villain, Courtney, which again, excellent. That's, that's great. Uh, that's very perfect. appropriate. Yes. And now for my role. Okay, that's a fun one. I have a friend group. so uh yeah i think that's fun i think i have a good idea for that and um yeah uh all right so again the twist was someone has been dead the whole time Mm -hmm. of course and with that with the with the twist and the rolls out of the way we will see you next time on World Build With Us. Remember that if you want us to build your world, you can always go to our website, worldbuildwithus.com. Click the link, follow the instructions, all that good stuff in within a reasonable amount of time. After spooky season's over, we'll be building your world. If you want to follow us on social media, you can do so by going to at Let's World Build on Twitter.com. You can come join our Discord and talk about spooky stuff or whatever you damn well please. Uh, shout out to the discord as well. We just added forums where you can now introduce your setting and post a whole bunch of stuff. It's a lot cleaner. It's a much nicer experience overall. So if you haven't been to the discord in a while, come on through and take a look at it. It's quite cool. Uh, And of course, thank you so very much to all of our patrons, especially for this episode in particular. It's been a hell of a whole lot of fun getting these ideas and just breathing life into them so if you want to be particularly generous and give us money over on patreon where you can get access to our patron only discord uh you can do that you can also get access to a patron only episode and of course you can always get 
early episodes if you want to listen to them on Patreon. So big thank you about that all over again. Just follow the link in the description for the Patreon. And with all of that out of the way, that's going to do it for this episode of World Build With Us. Remember that we love you very much. We're going to get through this together. Until next week. Bye.